This week's episode contains themes of murder and mental illness. If that isn't your cup of tea, that's fine, and we'll see you next week. Welcome to Spilling Tea, the podcast where two friends sip tea and spill literature's dark histories. I'm Jane. And I'm Mackenzie. And I'm glad to be back. We're back, and it feels so good. <laughs> we took a bit of a mental health break. A uh, school was crazy break. Yeah, academics started ramping up. We're hitting midterm season right about now. So. We've been in midterm season We've been, for like yeah, three weeks. Yeah. Um. So yeah, we're we're glad to be back. We're ready to go, and... Welcome to our super spooky special. Also, yay! Our spooky, scary Skella special. Our, yes, our spooky, scary Skella, <laughs> Skella special. special. Um, yeah, we wanted to do something a little spooky for our big comeback on Halloween. Um, both of us love Halloween. I love Halloween. We would die for Halloween. Basically, is yeah, my entire soul, spirit, energy. How goes. much Halloween stuff is in this room? So much so Halloween much. stuff. Like, so much Halloween stuff. Um... Yeah. Also, it's like mid-afternoon, so if I sound a little dull, this is like right when I usually take my nap. <laughs> so it's Jane's nap time. It's my nap time, and I'm not a napping, and instead I'm sitting here about to drink some tea. It's not caffeinated. I was about to say it's caffeinated, uh, but no, it isn't. Well, disappointments all around. Uh, so this week's episode, we are going to be covering, like I said, something spooky. So we are going to be covering some works of Edgar Allan Poe. Our per- favorite dude. Personally, one of my faves. <laughs> um, sorry, Mackenzie started playing with things and making noises and I had to <laughs> stop her. Um, so we're going to be covering Telltale Heart. Yes. And the cast of Amontillado. Very exciting. Amontillado? I'm going co- to call gonna say it Amontillado. Whatever. We're not uh, pronunciation experts. As everyone can tell from listening to our previous... Lair titties. Lair titties. Um, Glouse. 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 <laughs> uh, literally everything. So, yeah, we're going to be covering Telltale Heart mm-hmm. and the cast of Amontillado by Ooh. Edgar Allan Poe. So when did you first listen? So I... Read. <laughs> listen. Jesus. So... <sighs> so in sixth grade... My, like, childhood best friend and I, we were, we were different. We were edgy. You know? You know how you are when you're, like, Is this, is this the childhood best friend that I know? That I have met? You have not met this person. Okay. Okay. No, no, no. No, no, no. This is the one where both of them have the same name, and we have this a friend with the same name. Oh, yes. Like, okay. Like going yes, back. Yes, yes, yes. This is a throwback. All right. So yeah. yeah. So yeah. Uh, we were we were edgy, you know, in sixth grade, and <laughs> the library had a book. It was the complete works of Edgar Allan Poe. Uh huh. So it was it was a large book, and the two of us, I swear, we were the only people in the whole school who ever checked it out. But we would just check it out constantly and carry it around, and we were. Like, reading Edgar Allan Poe, and we were so much better. We were so much more cultured and more intelligent than our peers. And that was when I first read The Telltale Heart. The cast of um, Amontillado, I actually did not read until we were preparing to record this. Yeah, because I remember I was like, oh, this one's fantastic. And you were like, what is yeah. this? So Susan and I, I just said her name. Her name is Susan, I guess I can say that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, Susan and I were so edgy, but apparently not edgy enough to actually read the complete works of Edgar Allan Poe. Just to carry it around and read passages and stuff. Honestly, that checks out based on your personality. <laughs> I, I, I have the vibe of someone who read too much Edgar Allan Poe when she was too young to really understand it. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Also, shout out to my friend Susan. Shout out to both of our friend Susans. We love our Susan. I don't know if they listen, but... I'm pretty sure my friend Susan does sometimes. Let's see if my friend Susan does. Susan, if you listen, tweet at us. <laughs> um. Alright, so for me, I actually read... The Telltale Heart, probably in like seventh grade, we mm-hmm. ended up um, reading it because we were going to see a production of The Telltale Heart and um, The Raven. Ooh. Yeah, so we in like some local yeah. theater in like the big city, like the bigger city yeah. near my town. Oh, valid. So we actually went to, we read them in preparation for that, saw some like, saw theater production on it, and then The Cast of Amontillado I read in, I want to say senior year of high school actually Mm -hmm. um just because like prepping for the AP 
Okay. Uh, prepping for the AP, my my late professor just wanted to make sure that we had a large basis, and all. I'm pretty sure all of us had read some form of Edgar Allan Poe, but she was like, "This one's like a little more not mainstream." Yeah. So, she so it's was, not like I wrote about the Raven. Yeah, <laughs> I wrote about the Raven, like every other person in America. Yep. So. Yeah, we read that one, and I personally like that one more than Telltale Heart, mm-hmm. but, like, you know. So, I think we should get into the tea. We should get into the tea. This is the tea that we're saying relates to both of them, correct? Yes, I used one tea for both of them because they are by the same person. They take place, they're, like, written in the same time period, yep. and they both are very spooky. Yes! Quite, quite spooky and murderous. <laughs> I'm very intrigued as to what this tea okay, is Okay, so this tea is one of those ones where at first it's going to sound too nice for these books, for these stories. Okay. It is a Victorian vanilla berry. Ooh, that sounds delicious. Yeah, and so, you know, Victorian Edgar Allan Poe was one of the foremost writers in the, like, Victorian Gothic writing mm-hmm. movement, so I liked the Victorian tie-in. And this tea is described, this is another one from the Saratoga Tea and Honey Company. They of should course. sponsor us because I love them. <laughs> but um, the description on the website is, this delightful herbal infusion composed of organically produced rooibos, honeybush, hibiscus, black currants, and white chocolate is perfect for the long, cold nights of winter. Delectable dessert-style infusion with sweet and tangy flavor complemented by creamy white chocolate. And it is naturally caffeine-free, unfortunately. Oh, but it sounds so yummy. It does. And actually, rooibos is, it also can mean red bush, and it's kind of a broom-like member of the Fabaceae family. That's a name. Of plants, and they grow in South Africa. So, yeah, it's used to make a herbal, the leaves are used to make an herbal tea that goes by, it's either rooibos, sometimes bush tea, or red bush tea, and it's sometimes referred to as red tea, although this, like, it is an herbal tea. So that's a little bit misleading because I feel like when you say black tea, green tea, white tea, that's a specific type of tea leaf. It tends to be caffeinated, you know. This is technically an herbal tea, but it goes by a couple different names. I've heard, like, red tea pretty frequently, though. Yeah, it's it's rooibos tea is what it means. Oh, okay. Okay. Which I think is pretty interesting. Yeah. And, yeah, so it's grown in this Setterberg, a small mountainous area in the region of the Western Cape province of South Africa. Why did I think it was grown somewhere else? Like, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I just have, like, this very incorrect idea that all tea is grown where the Snapple commercials have their tea <laughs> plantations. <laughs> no, come on, bear with me. Like, no, I, I, I Think about it. Is there, like, yeah. picking, like, you know the old Snapple ad that's like, we pick only the best yeah. green tea leaves? All of a sudden, that is all the teas to all me. The all teas. the teas are grown there. That's valid. But, like, it like, makes sense yeah. that they're not. They're not, yeah. But so my time beyond just, like, it's Victorian, I like the idea of it being... Like, the mis- the red tea, mm-hmm. I feel like that just ties in with these two stories in a way, because, yeah. like, the red tea, you think of it kind of being dark, like, red, like, blood, like, very, like, spooky. Is this the biggest stretch we've had since, like, uh-huh. Medea? The Medea stretch wasn't a stretch. Okay, wait, no. Wait, which stretch was it? <laughs> the youth berry, because I said that pigs uh-huh. eat oranges sometimes. Yes. <laughs> that was the biggest That's stretch the biggest we've stretch. had. Well, also... It has, I'm trying to think of another way to tie it back. <laughs> no, I just think that the rooibos tea, it's kind of a darker tea. It's a mm-hmm. little bit, it's a little bit dramatic. It's very popular in England. Yes, so it's extremely gothic. Gothic, you would yeah, say. Yeah, that's kind of where my tie-in came yes. from. Yes. Also the fact that it is Victorian. Okay, okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Okay, I'll, All right. I'll give it to you. It checks out. All right, pour the tea. Okay, pour in the tea. Oh, look at that. Oh, that that is so pretty. It's such a good color. It's very, like, almost mustard yellow. (laughs) It's more orangey than that. I mean, yeah, it's like a a sad mustard yellow. (laughs) Okay, ready to try it? Yes. Ready to try it? I love this tea. Hold on, I'm getting there, I'm getting there. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yep. It's almost like you've had this tea before. Have I? Yesterday, when Jane and I decided to read our tea leaves, oh my God, you're, I used you're this right. tea to test it out to make sure that you liked it, because I keep picking teas that you don't like. 
It's literally just hibiscus. Yeah, it's just hibiscus. You're it's right. Just, but you I think there's hibiscus in this. Okay, if it's not the primary... Yeah, it's the third ingredient. If it's not the <laughs> primary ingredient, if it's just not That's hibiscus... That's when I just threw a handful of hibiscus at you and was like, go. <laughs> but yeah, so Jade and I also read our tea leaves yesterday. And what did they tell us? Mine looked like a camel. Oh, yeah. Mine looked like a whale. Mm-hmm. And apparently that means I'm going to go through some emotional turmoil this... um. In, in the near future, which checks out because it's Scorpio season. Hell yeah. Which, Mackenzie's a Scorpio. I'm a Scorpio, so I'm thriving right now. I'm a Leo, so I'm falling apart. That's valid. But, right. like, yeah. So, mine said I was going through some emotional turmoil. Do you remember what yours said? I don't remember what mine said. Yeah. I remember it looked like a camel and I got excited. I think it said, like, you were going to go through a stable business venture yeah or something and I was like "Mm, I'm in college so no we also put way too many tea leaves oh yeah oh yeah it was like like drinking mouthfuls of tea leaves it was like a full tablespoon of tea leaves (laughs) in our cup so our 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 tea reading our yeah our reading of tea leaves was less than ideal less than ideal all right so do you want to start with maybe a little bit of Edgar Allan Poe's, like, who he is and what he does, just yeah. because, like, I think we're going to structure this more of, like, a breakdown of each, of the plot of mm-hmm. each story, and then um, I'm going to talk a little bit about an interesting theme, but... Funky facts. Of, James a couple funky, funky facts. facts. Um, but, yeah, let's start off with, like, who Edgar Allan Poe was and, like, what his life was, um, yeah. just because... It's kind of weird since we're covering two short stories. Yeah. We like short stories. We do. So Edgar Allan Poe was born Edgar Poe. He mm-hmm. was born in 1809, and he was an American writer, editor, and literary critic. I'm sorry, he was American? He was American. Huh. Which throws a lot of people off. He was born I'm in thorough. Boston. Like, jazzy. Jazzy. Is Wait, funny. like, I totally knew that. Why did yeah. he write so much about, like, being... In Europe? Um, I don't know. Well, does a lot of his stories have a set place, or a lot of them just kind of... I mean, I think there a lot of them are themed to make it feel like it's in mm-hmm. Europe. At I least, like, know. the cast of Amontillado. Yeah, oh yeah. supposed to be. But, so yeah. yeah, he was an American writer, editor, and literary critic, and he's best known for his poetry and short stories, particularly his tales of mystery and macabre. Um, he's widely regarded as a central figure of romanticism in the United States. Really? And American literature. Oh, wait, literature. no, I've heard about that. Yeah. Sorry, not to just cut in, but, like, no, people, like, there were women that had the hats for Edgar oh, Allan Poe. Oh, fucking, fucking look at that man. Wow, that Oof. stash and that swoop that, of the hair. That cravat. <laughs> cravat. Wait, yeah. I, okay. But he's, so yeah, a figure of romanticism in American literature as a whole. One of the country's early earliest practitioners of the short story. Hmm. So that's pretty funky. And he's also considered the inventor of detective fiction. Really? And he's contributed with the emerging, to contrib- he's, who words. He is further credited with contributing to the emerging genre of science fiction. And he is also the first well-known American writer to try and earn a living through writing alone, which led to a really difficult, like, financial situation in life. Yeah. Because, yeah. He also was the second child of two actors. Really? So that's pretty wild. But his father abandoned the family in 1810. Oh, And his mother died the following year. Oh, that got really sad. And then he went and lived with a family in Virginia who never formally adopted him, but he lived with them well into young adulthood. That's sad. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he had attended University of Virginia, but left due to a lack of money. He quarreled with like other people in life about with the family that adopted him about um, just a lot of things. He had a lot of issues with these people. He quarreled with them with funds over his education. He enlisted the army in 1827 under an assumed name, and um. The anonymous collection Tamerlane and Other Poems is credited only to a Bostonian, but it was him. Huh. Excuse me. Which is very funky. (laughs) And he uh, failed as an office cadet at West Point, declaring a firm wish to be a poet and writer. Mood. So, yeah. And he kind of switched his focus to prose and spent several years working for literary journals and periodicals, becoming known for his own style of literary Mm. criticism. And his work made him move around, so he lived in, like, Baltimore and Philadelphia and New York. And then in um, 1836, he married Virginia Clem, 
his 13-year-old cousin. What? Oh, yeah, I forget about mm-hmm. this. Oh, my God. Uh... And in 1845, he published The Raven, which was, like, instant success. Like, he just did so well with that one. Yeah. But two years later, his wife died of tuberculosis. So that's not great. He just had a rough life. But and also, he, like, he married a 13-year-old. He married year old. a 13-year-old. So, like, mm, not condoning those actions. Yeah. And for years, he'd been planning to produce his own journal, The Pen, later renamed The Stylus. Ah! A true bougie bitch. Uh. <laughs> Though he died before it could be produced, because he died in 1849 at the age of 40, and the cause of his death is unknown, but it has been attributed to alcohol, brain congestion, cholera, drugs, heart disease, rabies, suicide, tuberculosis... And other agents. So that basically sounds like we have no idea. Because that's way too many things to be. That's a lot of things. Yeah. It's been variously attributed to those things. But his work influenced literature all over the U.S. and around the world. And in specialized fields as cosmology and cryptography. Cryptography is probably how that's actually pronounced. It's it's cryptography. Well. (laughs) Cryptography. Yes, correct. I'm an English major. Yeah, you are. And, yeah, but Poe and his work appear throughout pop culture and literature, music, film, and television. And a number of his homes are dedicated museums today. The Mystery Writers of America present an annual award known as the Edgar Award for Distinguished Work in the Mystery Genre. Fantastic. So, hey. Yeah. It's pretty funky. He sure is a dude. Yeah. So... Are... Are we... Is that... Is is that his life? That's pretty much... I mean, he really just... He only he, lived for 40 years. Yeah, he wrote, he married a 13-year-old, and he, uh, died. died. So, uh, mood, but also mood. really bad. Um, so do we want to go into... Telltale Heart? Yeah, is that what we're going to cover That's first? we're going to cover first. All right, sounds good. So yeah, the Telltale Heart. So, an unnamed narrator opens the story by addressing the reader and claiming that he is nervous but not mad. He says that he is going to tell a story in which he will defend his sanity, yet confess to having killed an old man. His motivation was neither passion nor desire for money, but rather a fear of the man's pale blue eye. Again, he insists that he is not crazy because his cool and, measu- because his cool and measured actions, though criminal, are not those of a madman. Yep. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Every This is where he might come across as a madman. Every night he went to the old man's apartment and secretly observed the man sleeping. In the morning he would behave as if everything were normal. After a week of this activity, the narrator decides somewhat randomly that the time is right to actually kill the old man. Fantastic. Rowdy. Great. And when the narrator arrives late on the eighth night, though, the old man wakes up and cries out. The narrator remains still, stalking the old man as he sits awake and frightened. The narrator understands how frightened the old man is, having also experienced the lonely terrors of the night. Soon the narrator hears a dull pounding that he interprets as the old man's terrified heartbeat. Worried that a neighbor might hear the loud thumping, he attacks and kills the old man. He then dismembers the body and hides the pieces below the floorboards in the bedroom. He is careful not to leave even a drop of blood on the floor. As he finishes his job, a clock strikes the hour of four. Just a real quick intersection. Um, if you're dismembering a body, there is no way that there is not blood everywhere. I'm sorry, like, unless you're on top of a plastic tarp that you then roll up, there is going to be blood. Did Edgar Allan Poe go to medical school? Does he know anything about biology? No. But you get a paper cut and your body bleeds. Can you imagine chopping someone's limbs apart? Like, cutting their torso? Edgar Allan Poe. I will fight Edgar Allan Poe. I'm sorry. His that is the one part of the story that gets me every time. Oh I, I'm just so mad. Jane and her criminology. You can't dismember a body and not leave blood. It doesn't work like doesn't that. Doesn't check out. Does not check out. Well, I'm gonna continue. Ooh, okay. So yeah, after he finishes chopping up this body and leaves not even a drop of blood, <laughs> the clock strikes the hour of four. At the same time, the narrator hears a knock at the street door. The police have arrived, having been called by a neighbor who heard the old man shriek. The narrator is careful to be chatty and to appear normal. He leads the officers all over the house without acting suspiciously. At the height of his... (laughs) I'm sorry, this guy thinks way too highly of himself. Oh, he totally does. At the height of his bravado, he even brings them into the old man's bedroom to sit down and talk at the scene of the crime. The policemen do not suspect a thing. 
The narrator is comfortable until he starts to hear a low thumping sound. He recognizes the low sound as the heart of the old man pounding away beneath the floorboards. Uh, yes. He panics, believing the policemen must also hear the sound and know his guilt. Driven mad by the idea that they are mocking his agony with their pleasant chatter, he confesses to the crime and shrieks at the men to rip up the floorboards. Yes. He's sane. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's the action of the sane man. Yeah, actions of a sane man, but also his ego is wild. The fact that, like, he's like, yeah, let me sit you down in the scene Mm -hmm. of the crime. Also, why? Why? But, like, stop. But also, like, if the officers walked into the old man's room and the old man was not there. Well, I'm wondering if this guy, he's passing off the house as his own. But it's because, gotta be, like, an apartment tenant house, like, yeah. something like that, where but the police like, don't know whose house is, whose room is whose, probably. I mean, it's not like they have ID and, like, doorbells with their names on them. Yeah, but, like, also, if he's showing the entire house, he already showed a second bedroom, most likely. Oh, if he's showing... What does he show? He leads them all over the house. Yeah, I don't really know. Because, like... Well, if it's kind of, like, an apartment kind of thing. Also, like... If, if it's, like, kind of an apartment type mm-hmm. of thing, and he leads them into an apartment. Yeah, and every night he went to the old man's apartment. So, I think he kind of just shows them all over the apartment of the old man. Maybe. <laughs> but, at the same time, I would think that, like, the neighbors would know where everyone lives. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, it's a short story. I can't go into too, too much in depth of why I have issues with it. We've just got issues with Poe. I mean, who doesn't? Honestly... All right. Honestly. Are we going to swap over to my notes? Yeah. So Jane's got her funky facts. Well, first, I'm going to be talking a little bit about something that was interesting to me. So after the narrator murders the old man in cold, cold blood, (laughs) he begins to... um, He begins to hear the sound of the old man's heartbeat beating under, or heart beating under the floorboards as the police officers interrogate him. Well, it's pretty apparent that the narrator has some form of mental illness and psychotic nature because he murders the old man because of an eyeball. Um, (laughs) My interest was piqued by the sound that plagues the narrator's minds as he talks with police officers. Often, this hallucination is discussed as the the narrator's, like, guilt of taking a physical place within the novel. Like, um, if you've ever, I, since you, like, read it kind of on your own, you probably Mm -hmm. never read it in class, but Mm -hmm. a lot of times the sound of the heartbeat is, like, discussed as an admission of Of his own guilt. guilt. Mm -hmm. Um, so, like, I agree with that when it comes to the analysis of the book, but in one of my psychology classes recently, we've been covering various hallucinations, visual and physical manifestations, such as Charles Bonnet syndrome and phantom limb pain, um, which I could talk about for hours. But basically, Charles Bonnet syndrome is a visual hallucination that occurs as someone begins losing their vision, where they see very vivid, very realistic mm-hmm. hallucinations, such as like ants crawling all over the place, like big ants or fairies. A very common hallucination with mm-hmm. a lot of patients is they see Roman chariots. In, like, Romans. What? It's it's a wild time. Yeah. And eventually, like, it does, like, go away for a lot mm-hmm. of people. And then phantom limb pain occurs with amputees a lot. Yeah. Where they can still feel, feel, the, feel the pain of their limb. Like, a lot of um, war vets that come back, if they mm-hmm. have, like, an amputated leg, they say that they can feel... It feels like their toes are crossed. Mm-hmm. Or, like, it's, like, a numb, like, my leg yeah. fell asleep pain. But they can't fix it because it's, it's not, not there. there. So yeah, those, that's like kind of a brief description of Charles Bonnet syndrome and um, phantom limb pain. But hallucinations also come in the auditory, auditory form or sound. So this type of hallucination or paracousia, paracousia, paracousia. We can't pronounce words. <laughs> um, it involves the perceiving of sounds without any auditory sim- stimulus. A common form of this is hearing 
uh, is the hearing of one or more talking voices. This can be associated with psychotic disorders such as schizophrenia, but hearing voices does not mean that you have a psychotic disorder. Just as a clarification for any listeners, if you hear voices, you're most likely okay. It does not mean that you have like schizophrenia or something else. Like, go to someone if you really, really are concerned, but don't diagnose yourself, please. Talk to a professional. I am not said professional. <laughs> the, hearing, <laughs> the hearing of voices is broken down even further into three categories. A person hearing a voice speak one's thoughts. A person hearing one or more voices arguing. Or a person hearing a voice narrating his or, ho- or her own actions, which I think is hilarious. Can you just imagine being like, as I'm holding this laptop, being like, now Jane holds the laptop and she reads the notes off of the laptop. I don't laptop. care for that. Right? <laughs> That's spooky. Um, so there are other types of auditory hallucinations that I believe are closer to what the narrative, sorry, not the narrative, the narrator experiences. I forget that your computer's a touch screen and I keep poking it and it keeps doing <laughs> things. So the first that I found was exploding head syndrome where individuals experience unreal noises that are loud and of short duration when falling asleep or waking up. The noises can be frightening, but typically occurs only occasionally and in a not and is not serious in nature. Sorry, I broke everything. We're fine. Flashes of light may also occur, but pain is typically absent. So think about this. You're falling asleep and all of a sudden you hear bang. But there's no bang. I was going to say, is this like when my wine glass fell down the other night? Yeah. So but, a, like, real. Like, real. <laughs> like, but, fake, I mean. But They're not like, actually happening. There's yeah. nothing actually happening. Mm. It's just you hear a bang, you wake up. Yeah. Yeah, the other night, um, <laughs> at, like, three in the morning, four in the morning. Four in the morning. Four in the morning. Um, I woke up to a loud, like, crashing and breaking noise. I had also been awake for about two minutes before this happened and watched it fall and I thought it was a ghost. (laughs) So I have on my bookshelf next to my bed, I had, you know those tacky wine glasses you buy in the bullseye zone of Target? Like $2 $2 wine glasses. Jane and I like to get matching ones. Yes. These ones said, let's stay home and had little like Thanksgiving Uh, golden leaves on them. We love them. And I had mine on my bookshelf. It was, it held my spoons. I had some spoons in it. Mm-hmm. And it was next to some of my books. And I guess one of my books fell and pushed it off the shelf. But we woke up to this, I woke <laughs> up to this clattering noise. We sat up and we were like, what happened? And I turned on a light and it took us like a minute to realize we, what fell. We also have um, like, glass bulbs going around our room and I, and they have fallen the like command hooks yeah. have fallen and shattered a couple of them and they break really easily mm-hmm. so i was stressed <laughs> that all of a sudden your command hooks had just fallen off in the yeah. middle of the night that's what i thought had happened yeah. so we turn on the light we find it and i turned to jane and i said so now that we figured out what fell can we deal with it in the morning and i responded with yes please yes, please so so like that but not not actually a wine glass falling but just a hearing a loud noise like mm-hmm. that or seeing, like, mm-hmm. a hearing a loud noise and seeing a flash of light, which I think is wild. Mm-hmm. So some theories of the cause of exploding head syndrome are minor seizures affecting the temporal lobe, ear dysfunctions, stress and anxiety, variable or broken sleep, antidepressant continuation syndrome, temporary calcium channel dysfunction, and PTSD. For treatment, most doctors recommend education and reassurance because episodes are infrequent and not serious or painful. They just kind of happen. Another type of auditory hallucination, which is actually one that we discussed in class, which is really cool, is musical ear syndrome. In this condition, people who are working on it, welcome back to our podcast where we can't speak anything or say things or pronounce things. Woo! Woo! In this condition, people who have hearing loss develop auditory hallucinations where they experience music or sounds that are heard without an external source. It is believed that this condition occurs after, oh, it's titanus, or no, tinnitus, tinnitus. 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 Yes, we're going tinnitus. <laughs> I might be wrong, but it sounds better. I think it's tinnitus. I honestly do. I just can't read and then print, reproduce the words. Jane can't speak. No, I can't. Occurs after tinnitus. 
I don't know if that's it. Anyways, or occurred, acquired, Jesus, I'm struggling today. Acquired deafness. Some report hearing entire musical songs or notes being played over and over again. One case that we discussed in class was that a, was of a lady who ran around her entire house looking for a radio to turn off, only to realize that there was no radio in the house. So, and another one that we discussed was about this old woman who went into the doctor's office with her husband, and she had this condition, and mm -hmm. she could, she was writing, she was also a musician, so she was writing down the notes that she was hearing in the song, mm -hmm. and she could, she could not identify what the song is, but then her husband was there, and he's like, oh yeah, because they would play it back, she would write down yeah. the notes, and then they'd play it, and he was like, oh yeah, that's the song we heard on the radio, like, a couple days ago. So it's like, the mm -hmm. brain is processing these actual, like, familiar yeah. songs, but the person sometimes can't identify it, or they can identify it, so it's kind of like the feeling when you have a song running through your head, except it's just the music, and you can physically hear it. Yeah. So that's wild. That's so it's the opposite of what I have. <laughs> there can be actual music playing, and I won't hear it. That's just because you're deaf. Yeah. So Maybe so. <laughs> probably. So sleep disorders and lesions on the brainstem have been thought to cause this auditory, like these auditory disorders, um, but it's hard to tell. A lot of people affected by these hallucinations think that they're going crazy and don't end up reporting to them to their doctor, but this is incredibly common. Mm -hmm. um, so as a PSA, if you have bad hearing and may eventually develop, um, what is it? What is tinnitus. Tinnitus. Or become deaf over time, you will most likely experience oh, this. Oh, great. Can't wait for my future. Um, it's insane, Me with though. my terrible ears. Just going to constantly be hearing music. Um, so Hopefully it's fireball. Hopefully. So when or if you do experience this, you're not going crazy, and please report it to your doctor. Um, this, These like auditory hallucinations and visual hallucinations have an incredibly low report status mm -hmm. just because people think they're going crazy and you're not. You're not going crazy. It's actually happening. Um, just to go to visual hallucinations, which are really, really interesting and I love visual hallucinations, they did a study where they had sighted people um, wear a blindfold for five days because they were gonna, they were testing if um, braille reading is adaptive. Mm -hmm. So can a sighted person who suddenly goes blind be able to read braille? Yeah. Kind of, like, that's a very, very basic um, explanation of the study. But anyways, within around the, like, I think it was two or three day mark um, of wearing these blindfolds in, like, a hospital setting, patients started to experience those vivid hallucinations. Mm -hmm. So, it's like, for some reason, these hallucinations, auditory, visual, and, like, the phantom limb pain, they happen, but we don't know why. We, mm -hmm. we like, could be the brain, like, rewiring, um, like, cross-modal plasticity, something along those lines, but we are not sure why these happen, but it's so freaking cool. I, I'm sorry. I'm just really excited about this. Anyways... That's that. My funky fact of the episode will come later. Ooh. So, back to you. Love the funky facts. We love funky facts. Alright. So that's it for the Telltale Heart. Yeah, I know it's like <laughs> nothing to do with... The Telltale Heart. But he probably I had something like this. I'm, I mean, well, not really. He probably was just going insane. because I the mean, Well, also, like, the visual hallucinations, because he was saying that the eye was doing something. Yeah, I don't know. the eye was weird. Yeah. I'm trying to drink enough of my tea so that I can read these tea leaves. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, next, yeah, the cast of Amontillado. Yay! So, this one starts off with the narrator, Montresor, opening the story by stating that he has been irreparably insulted by his acquaintance, Fortunato, and that he seeks revenge. He wants to exact this revenge, however, in a measured way without placing himself at risk. He decides to use Fortunato's fondness for wine against him. Oh, Someone's going to get me one day. Yeah. <laughs> Literally, if you ever make me mad, I'm going to be like, Mackenzie, do you want this bottle of Barefoot? And I'm going to be like, God, yes, I do. Do you want this rosé? Yes, Follow me into the lake. <laughs> You're going to get me. I love rosé. <laughs> you love rosé so much. I do, I do. 
And during the carnival season, Montresor, wearing a mask of black silk, approaches Fortunato. He tells Fortunato... Why black silk? I'm sorry. I don't know. Cut it, but, like, but that's, like... Why that's, is that such an important detail? I, we'll see. But he approaches Fortunato and tells him that he has acquired something that could pass for a Montiato, a light Spanish sherry. And Fortunato, Italian for fortunate, wears the multicolored costume of the jester, including a cone cap with bells. Montresor tells Fortunato that if he is too busy, he will ask a man named Lucchesi to taste it. Fortunato apparently considers Lucchesi a competitor and claims that this man could not tell Amontillado from other types of sherry. Fortunato is anxious to taste the wine and determined for Montresor whether it is truly Amontillado. Fortuna Fortunato insists that they go to Montresor's vaults. Because that's sketch. That's bougie. Montresor has strategically planned for this meeting by sending his servants away to the carnival. The two men descend into the damp vaults, which are covered in nitre, 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 or saltpeter, a whitish mineral. Apparently aggravated by the nitre, Fortunato begins to cough. The narrator keeps offering to bring Fortunato back home, but Fortunato refuses. Instead, he accepts wine as the antidote to his cough. The men continue to explore the deep vaults, which are full of the dead bodies of the Montresor family. In response to the crypts, Fortunato claims to have forgotten Montresor's family coat of arms and motto. Montresor responds that his family shield portrays a huge human foot door in a field azure. The foot crushes a serpent rampant whose fangs are embedded in the heel. The motto in Latin is Nemo mi impun laceti, which I did not pronounce right. Nope. That is, no one attacks me without impunity. Later in the journey, later in their journey, Fortunato makes a hand movement that is a secret sign of the Masons. Montresor does not recognize this hand signal, though he claims that he is a Mason. When Fortunato asks for proof, Montresor shows him his trowel, the implication being that Montresor is an actual stone Mason. Mm. Mm. Fortunato says that he must be jesting, and the two men continue onward. The men walk into a crypt where human bones decorate three of the four walls. The bones from the fourth wall have been thrown down on the ground. On the exposed wall is a small recess where Montresor tells Fortunato that the Amontillado is being stored. Fortunato, now heavily intoxicated, goes to the back of the recess. Montresor then suddenly chains the slow-footed Fortunato to a stone. Taunting Fortunato with an offer to leave, Montresor begins to wall up the entrance to the small crypt, thereby trapping Fortunato inside. Fortunato screams confusedly as Montresor builds in the first layer of the wall. The alcohol soon wears off, and Fortunato moans, terrified and helpless. As the layers continue to rise, though, Fortunato falls silent. Just as Montresor is about to finish, Fortunato laughs as if Montresor is playing a joke on him, but Montresor is not joking. At last, after a final plea for the love of God, Montresor, Fortunato stops answering Montresor, who then twice calls out his enemy's name. After no response, Montresor claims that his heart feels sick because of the dampness of the catacombs. He fits the last stone into place and plasters the wall closed, his actions accompanied only by the jingling of Fortunato's bells. He finally repositions the bones on the fourth wall. For fifty years, he writes, no one has disturbed them. He concludes with a Latin phrase meaning, may he rest in peace. Wow. Yeah. 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 I mean, <laughs> as we're pulling up our notes, I do have to say there is, like, this whole... In the actual analysis of the book, they, like, are talking about how Montresor is, like, the definition of, because, like, Fortunato is supposed to be, like, someone who is drawn to luck and fortune and then mm -hmm. greed, and it's, like, this yeah. whole thing about, like, the more, the lucky you are, the more you grieve, mm -hmm. grieve for or something, I don't know. So, um, the main character of the short story, going into my section, is believed to be a Freemason, or make some reference being a Freemason. Well, technically, a stone Are we talking about the Freemasons? We are talking about the Freemasons. I have personal Freemason. anecdotes about the Masons. Oh, my God. So I thought I'd go into a little bit of that because I don't know much about it. Um, so, and also, like, I think a lot of people equate the Freemasons with the Illuminati. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, a lot. A um, lot. So... I, I, I'm pulling from the Wikipedia page here. There we go. So, I'm not I, saying this is exact information. I know a Mason. You do? I do. My father is a Mason. Really? Yeah. So. That's hilarious. 
Hopefully he doesn't listen. <laughs> not, <laughs> are you just not supposed to, like, share that information? I, I don't know what I'm allowed to share or not share. <laughs> I anyway. know that he is a Mason. How? Because he goes to meetings. They do, like, community dinners to raise money and people go to them. Like, they know he's a Mason. It's not, like, a secret. Yeah. Well, thanks for spoiling my entire section. Uh, what? The Masons? Yeah. I'm just gonna... Never mind. Whatever. Apparently I have nothing to share. Oh my goodness. So Freemasonry or Masonry consists of fraternal organizations that trace their origins to the local fraternities of stonemasons, which uh, from the end of the 14th century regulated the qualifications of stonemasons and their interaction with authorities and clients. The degree of Freemasons masonry uh, retains the three grades of medieval craft guilds, those of apprentice, journeyman or fellow, and master mason. Modern Freemasonry consists Broadly consists of two main rec recognition groups. Regular Freemasonry insists that a volume of scripture is open to a working lodge, that every member profess belief in a supreme being, that no women are admitted in some jurisdictions, those who transition to women after being initi initiated may stay. So, progressive mm -hmm. Freemasons, thank you. And the discussion of religion and politics are banned. Continental Freemasonry is now the general term for the jurisdictions which have removed some of these regulations. Um, so I think a lot more, a lot more groups are continental yeah. Freemasonry just because it's more casual. It's almost like a Lions Club. Hmm. It's basically a Lions Club <laughs> with more cult-like behavior. More cult-like behavior. So the Masonic, yeah, we're Masonic. going with that. Masonic Lodge mm -hmm. is the basic organizational unit of Freemasonry. The lodge meets regularly to conduct the usual formal business of any small organization, such as paying bills, organizing social and charitable events, electing new members, etc. In addition to the small business, the meeting may perform a ceremony to confer a Masonic degree or re receive a lecture, which is usually on some aspect of Masonic history or ritual. At the conclusion of this meeting, the lodge may adjourn to a formal dinner, sometimes involving toasting and song. Because there's so much mystique around Freemasonry, and a lot of times it's yeah. inaccurately... You're not allowed to talk about... Like, I barely know anything about it. Yeah, you don't really talk about Freemasonry, um, and it's so equated with Illuminati, which I almost went into the Illuminati because spooky, spooky episode, but also I... I was scared to Google the Illuminati because... You don't I, want the Illuminati to come find you? Yeah. <laughs> Is that what you're saying? Maybe. Um, so I want to talk about... Illuminati, little... tweet at us. <laughs> <laughs> don't do that to me! <laughs> if you're the Illuminati, please tweet at spilling TP. No. <laughs> Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about what it takes to get into a lodge, because it's not like rolling up to the Lions Club and being like, hey, I'm a dude and I want to help support my local community. It's not exactly like that. So candidate, candidates for Freemasonry will have met the most active members of the lodge. Um, they're joining before they're initiated. The process varies between jurisdictions, but the candidate will typically have been introduced by a friend at a lodge social function or at some form of open evening at the lodge. Now, interested people, okay. Now, interested people often track down a local lodge through the internet, which I find hilarious for Incredible. some reason. Well, candidates may be encouraged to ask to join. They're never invited to join. Like you have to ask to join. At my dad, what? What is what? your dad doing? What is my dad doing? That's a really good question. Once the initial inquiry is made, an interview usually follows to determine the candidate's suitability. If the candidate decides to proceed from here, the lodge ballots on the application before they are accepted. If accepted during the ceremony of initiation, the candidate is expected to swear, usually on a volume of sacred text appropriate to their personal religious like faith, mm -hmm. which I think is really awesome. Mm -hmm. Um... Because there's no, like, because yeah. they said, like, they don't really talk about politics or religion, so, like, mm -hmm. it doesn't really matter what someone's religion is, which I think is really awesome, actually, to uh, fulfill, like, certain, they, like, swear on this sacred text to fulfill certain obligations uh, as a mason. In the course of three degrees, new masons will promise to keep the secrets of their degree from the lower degrees and outsiders, which... 
explains why my dad hasn't told me anything about being a Freemason, other than that he is one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And to support a fellow Mason in distress, whether that's, like, if they can legally do that, or mm-hmm. physically, like, support someone, like, giving them money, or legally in the sense of, like, I will represent you yeah. in your court case. Um... Other than that, Freemasons are really allowed to do whatever they want, whether that is involvement on the social side of the lodge, further exploration into the ritual and symbolism of the craft, or a focus on the charitable functions of the lodge, which I feel like your dad would be more inclined to do, like, the charitable work, actually. They do a lot of community dinners. I don't know if that just benefits the lodge, though. Like, I don't know where that... I I know so little. (laughs) It's really terrifying sometimes. Yeah, I don't know what your dad's into. But, like... I don't know if he can tell me. He can't. He can't tell you. That's literally one of their things, is they can't tell people what's going on. So, I don't know. Like, I... I'm very interested, but there's not a lot of information. Um, Disguise yourself as a man and sneak into their meetings. I mean, technically, a lot of places are starting to accept women a little bit more, Well, they have a separate organization called um, the Order of the Eastern Star, which is, like, the women's version. And the, there's a version for younger people, too. The girls' one is called Constellations. I don't remember what the boys' one is called. Why, why do you know so Because much? I was part of the Constellations for, like, two years. Oh, my God, Mackenzie! <laughs> I have ties to Masonry. I have ties to the Freemasons. Why are you part of the Illuminati? I think I am. No, it was I was, like, 11, and it was something that my dad wanted me to do, because you have to be the daughter or granddaughter of a Mason, or daughter or granddaughter of a member of the Order of the Eastern Star. This is terrifying. Yeah, you're what learning the... new things about me. I'm, I'm moving out. Okay. Bitch. <laughs> <laughs> so, funky fact time. Funky fact time. Um, Amontillado is a variation of sherry wine, like mm-hmm. you said. It's named after the Amontillado no, region of Spain, where the style originated in the 18th century. Amontillado is characterized by nutty aromas, tobacco, Ooh aromatic herbs, and often ethereal, polished notes of oak. <laughs> Amontillado is usually served slightly chilled and may be served either as an, uh, what is it, an aperitive or aperitif? Aperitif. <laughs> uh, or, as accompaniment, or as an accompaniment, accompaniment. accompaniment to food, thank you, <laughs> such as chicken or rabbit. Chicken. Stop. Classically. Ch- ch- chicken. Our podcast can't just be used <laughs> quoting <laughs> vines <laughs> forever, Mackenzie. We're actually trying to provide entertainment here. Entertainment and education. Yeah, and you're not doing it. Chicken. Stop. <laughs> so classically, it was served with a fine, thin soup, such as a beef consomme. Amontillado may be stored for a few years before Oprah opening. After before o- Oprah? Oh, before Oprah <laughs> can be stored a few Only years Only Oprah before. can drink it. <laughs> Accurate. After opening, it can be kept for up to two weeks if corked and refrigerated. Um, if you want, I can go into the process of why Amontillado is different than other sherry wines. I don't know enough about sherry wines. Well, I can pull up the Wikipedia page and tell you more. That's so valid. Because, yes, it's it's a lot. Alright, here we go. So, here we go. An Amontillado sherry begins as a fino, fortified to approximately 13.5% alcohol with a cap of floor yeast limiting its exposure to air. So they put the the yeast on top to make sure it doesn't oxidize. A cast of fino is considered to be an Amontillado if the layer of floor, or yeah, I'm going to call it floor, uh, yeast fails to develop adequately and is intentionally killed by an additional fortification... Yeah, fortification, or is allowed to die off through non-replenishment, so if they don't keep adding the yeast and Mm -hmm. it just dies off naturally, that's when it starts to be considered an amontillado. Without the layer of floor, amontillado must be fortified to approximately 17.5% alcohol so that it does not oxidize too quickly. Oh my goodness. After the additional fortification, amontillado oxidizes slowly, exposed to oxygen through the slightly porous American or Canadian oak cast, and gains a dark color and a richer flavor than fino. So that's why it gets that, like, ethereal polished notes of, um, like, oak. So, yeah, naturally dry, they're sometimes sold light, lightly to medium sweetened, 
Um, but if they do, if they sweeten it, it's no longer labeled in Montalado. They have to label it as, like, a different type of sherry. Mm-hmm. So, that, that, okay, hold on. Sorry. Lost my place. So, on April 12th, 2012, the rules applicable to the sweet and fortified uh, denotations of the original Montalado, 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 it's, no, it's, no, Montia, Montio, Morales, oh god, there's so many different words I can't say, and Jer, I spoke French, not Spanish. Sherry were changed to prohibit sweet amontillado. They have to be labeled as a medium sherry, blend of amontillado, or such like. So any of the versions of amontillado that are kind of like mixed or like sweetened, they can't can't be be labeled labeled as straight amontillado. Yep. Huh. Um, That's so funky. Yeah, so due to its uh, oxidant... Dative aging in preparation, Amontillado is more stable than Fino and may be stored for a few years. So, yeah, it's uh, pretty good. Nice. Yeah. It makes sense that you had cask buried way down there. Yeah, because it was probably aging. Mm-hmm. Aging in the oak, which I think is cool. There you go. Yep. I don't, I mean, that's all I got for that's this, for our spooky episode. We just, we just love some spook. <laughs> I mean... I was talking about Freemason. Like, I told you it was going to be kind of spooky, but not yeah, spooky. not spooky. Just some auditory hallucinations mm-hmm. and... Potential connections. The Illuminati is going to find us, and that's the spooky part of this episode. <laughs> the spooky part of this episode is they may, may not be another episode after this <laughs> one goes disappear, up. we disappear, it's, the, it's Illuminati. the Illuminati. They got us. We probably shouldn't joke. They might come find us. They know oh, where I'm we afraid. are. I'm not going to sleep tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to sleep. I'm so scared right now, Mackenzie. I have a Halloween party tonight, so if I don't sleep, it's not a big deal. I'll just stay up super late. Fantastic. All right. Got anything else? I'm all set. We just, happy Halloween. Yeah, happy Halloween. Happy Enjoy your time. Because of the theme, happy Halloween. Get out. It fits with the theme of the episode. Get out. It's so good. Appreciate it. Anyways, happy Halloween. Watch your alcohol consumption. Be careful. Don't gorge yourself on Halloween candy. And like we sick. did. Yep. <laughs> um, take care of yourself. Do some self-care, but enjoy your Halloween. Have yeah. some fun. Stay warm. <laughs> yeah, it's very chilly. Um, anyways, I think that's it for I us. Think we're good. So thanks so much for listening to Spilling Tea. The tea is spilled and the cupboards are closed. See you next week. Bye. Bye. <laughs>